So as I was preparing this case, the common theme was religion and not just based on the core characters of the case, but among the various players who had roles in the outcome in what they wanted and what they received. So I posed a question to my followers and I asked, is God a viable form of protection against the physical evils of this earth? It is the morning of October 31st, 1981 in Amarillo, Texas. Sister Angie Martinez was concerned about the absence of one of the usual members of Mass. The missing member was Sister Tadia Benz, a 76-year-old Roman Catholic nun born in Switzerland, but it is not known when her family immigrated to the United States and eventually settled in Texas. So anyways, when Sister Martinez went to Sister Benz's room at the St. Francis Coven, she noticed a small but out of ordinary detail. Sister Tadia's door to her room was closed. And that was weird. I mean, <laughs> That was unusual because sister was hard of hearing and often kept her door left ajar so she could hear the morning buzzer when constituents entered in and out of the coven. So taking that small detail into account, Sister Martinez entered Sister Tadia's room and discovers Sister Tadia nude on the floor with her arms outstretched by her side. And um, I just want to know who posed Sister Tadia as the good Lord Jesus. Because they're going to hell. And they was already going to hell for killing a nun. But they're going to hell, hell just, just for the pose alone. But I digress. Um, once making that discovery, Sister Martinez alerted the other nuns of the coven. They all came to Sister Tadia Ben's room and wrapped her body in a sheet. <clears throat> no comment. And clean spots of blood they noticed around the body. <clears throat> no fucking comment. Um... <laughs> And I want to say they continued on with their merry way because ain't nothing really was said about what happened with the body between this and once Sister Florentine in the early afternoon, give it like 1 p.m. ish, noticed that a window on the second floor of the coven was broken into. And it was at this moment. <laughs> no comment it was at this moment they decided to call the police 
Not when they discover the dead body or nothing, because that ain't nothing major. But, you know, when we realize that somebody done broke into the coven because we got shit to steal up in here. <laughs> it's time to call the police. Okay. The police start their initial canvas, gather evidence, the window shards, a knife found in the driveway. And it wasn't until a cop overheard the nuns whispering. I mean, this this man was ear hustling. He was <laughs> paying attention to the business that wasn't his, but at the end of the day it became his business, and I appreciate him ear hustling. Um, he overheard the nuns discussing with each other if they should tell the police about Sister Tadia. Okay, I got a comment. Because what is there to discuss? What is there to discuss? Please let me know. I am concerned with the line of thinking because they had assumed that Sister Tadia died of a fall. And I don't know how they came to that conclusion, but please tell the police. Tell the police now because you you didn't do a good job. <laughs> so it wasn't until a cop overheard the nuns whispering about whether they should mention Sister Tadia. Once they go inside and start investigating Sister Tadia's room, they discover a knife under the bed, fingerprints on the headboard, and the sheets. And they found a few pubic hairs as well. The story was not only sensational because somebody was murdered on Halloween morning. That's creepy enough. Um, but somebody killed a nun, like, y'all, is y'all Jason in here? <laughs> because who told y'all that was okay? Sister Tadia did not die a painless death. Sister eventually died of manual strangulation, but that was not before she was raped and stabbed in her neck, chest, and back. So, the investigation was following, you know, the lead of the pubic hairs. They were dark, curly, tight coils, you know. And they had narrowed the suspect pull down to a Cuban immigrant. Dark hair, dark skin. And they started rounding them on up because it's Texas. You know, they probably still in them same horses they were using for our Haitian immigrants. Okay. Um... They was rounding them up and they were like, you know, narrowing down the suspect pool. And they were drawing these conclusions because the case of Sister Tadia Benz were drawing similarities to a case that happened in the summer of the same year. A 77-year-old woman who lived alone by the name of Narni Box Bryson Miss Bryson was found in her home, murdered, strangled by the phone cord, but also raped and stabbed as well. So with the similarities between both the cases, I mean, cause of death, strangulation, both women sexually assaulted, 
both women elderly, essentially living alone, living a life of solitude. It just seemed too similar for it to have not been the same suspect. However, it wasn't until about six days into the investigation, the police officers received a call from a woman, a self-proclaimed psychic of the community named Bubbles. Yeah, you heard me correctly, guys. Bubbles. Okay. Bubbles called the police and said, listen up. I had me a dream. It was nothing like MLK's dream, but I had me a dream. And the dream consisted of a young man about yay high, slim, muscular build, you know, big ass ears. I think his name is Mr. Clyde, Mr. Clyde, something like that. I don't really know. But this is address, though. <laughs> Bitch, a dream? A dream. Where the fuck was your antennas when we initially was doing our canvas about the motherfucking break-in? Where was you? Was you not home that day? <laughs> was the dream not ready at that moment? They pull up at the house, right? Why is the house directly across the street from the coven? And when I say directly across the street, I mean a skip, hop, and a jump, honey. And the house is on a corner lot. And so from the street, you can see a dog house with the name Mr. Clyde on it. So this bitch dream seemed kind of legit, right? And I'm surprised because of all the Powerpuff girls, I ain't going with Bubbles. <laughs> give me Blossom, give me Buttercup, but I ain't listening to Bubbles, okay? So they go into the house, you know, they collect some evidence. They see the knife block is the same make and mode of the knife they found in the driveway. But the knife in the driveway was not the murder weapon. And neither was the knife they found under the bed, but there were fingerprints on the knife under the bed as well. But there were two separate knives. So they only matched the one in the driveway to the block in the house, but they took it as evidence anyways. They questioned the young man that lives there. They questioned his family, went on about their day because they didn't have any direct evidence. It was on November 9th, 1981, about 10 days, less than 10 days, that Sergeant Yerger matched the prints on the knife and the headboard to a young man that lived in the home by the name of Johnny Frank Garrett. And I just want to go in retrospect real quick and think about the fact that they did not have the same technology we have now. So the matching of fingerprints was really by microscope and eye. And do we really train our police officers, much less the officers in Texas, to, to, to have that forensic background? I'm just saying a food for thought. So they arrest Johnny Frank Garrett. They bring him in and he confesses. He admits to the crime. However, when it comes to signing the type confession, he refuses and adamantly refuses. When his mother comes to visit him in jail, he even vehemently denies that he was even involved. He did admit to break it in the coven a time or two to steal a radio, 
but it's not really known how true that was either it does have to be noted that the police department in Amarillo already has some kind of bias toward Johnny Frank Garrett. He had often ran into the law a little bit, had a little bit of a juvie record for break-ins and stealing. So we can also take that into account. Um, psychic vision leading them to the suspect. Um fingerprints being identified by the eye of an officer um the police department have a a history with the suspect we can take those into consideration into how once johnny was tried less than 10 months later he was found guilty and convicted of capital murder at the age of 17 he was sentenced to death for the murder of sister Tadia Benz. So I am not immediately convinced that Johnny Frank Garrett is the 100% murderer of sister Tadia Benz. Now, I'm not saying he is innocent. I am saying it is very possible he committed this crime. However, as consumers of true crime, we often take on the decision-making of a lawyer, a judge, a cop. People who has those firm black and white lines. But I consume from a perspective of a juror, right? I have a different background than many of my peers, and we do not think aligned. Now, I would be willing to come to the compromise to come to the same decision for the safety of my community. However, I will need to analyze things a different way and not so black and white. And certain things that could have helped cast a reasonable doubt was very neglected by his defense team and this defense team came out of nowhere i they were not sought out by his family or himself he basically stood up in court during arraignment and said i will represent him they went with it because they're poor and he figured he could get some publicity off of a capital murder case because he has never ever 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 tried a murder case in his career <laughs> so why not try it now um also it was neglected in his defense to mention the severe and horrendous amount of abuse that johnny frank garrett was exposed to during his own childhood now i know sometimes we take a stance that what you have been through does not affect your decision making of what you do but in this case it does because his abuse caused a level of mental diminishment he was actually not all the way there that is why they went ahead and typed up the confession because he could not write his confession um he was also admittedly under the influence of acid. And again, let's remind everybody that he is 17. Um, during his childhood, his stepfather raped, abused him, put him on a stove where his body was exposed to second degree burns. Um, he pimped him out to be in homosexual 
pornographic films where he was humiliated and had to perform just some very degrading acts all before the age of 13 and he was soon exposed to drugs acid marijuana alcohol sniff paint thinner and he did not grow mentally um he was stunted at a certain age and according to various therapists and psychiatrists that have studied this case they believe he had a multiple personality disorder um they believe he may have suffered from schizophrenia of some sorts it's not 100 percent sure but this predisposed mental history and abuse history was never disclosed in court so the jury never got to see that side um also during his appeals it was brought up that the theory of the cuban immigrant was never revisited again it had kind of just vanished in thin air and not because of levels of investigation not progressing, but because Bubbles called, gave this great hint, and they felt like at this point, we know this gentleman and we just want to get this case solved. He went through three appeals, the third being denied within hours of his execution um, he was granted a reprieve by Governor Ann Richards on the request of Pope John Paul of the very Roman Catholic Church that Sister Benz had devoted her life to. So for the church to ask of the government to rescind their sentencing and just give him life in prison shows that they were giving a sense of compassion that the law was not trying to give and it is after this case that they put in different statutes as if you cannot have certain mental disorders and be sentenced to death and you cannot be of certain age before you are sentenced to death and if these have been able to been retrospect then both of these would have saved Johnny Frank Garrett's life on February 11th 1992 the government executed and killed Johnny Frank Garrett by lethal injection. His last meal was ice cream, which I can go for some cookie dough myself, you know. Um, and though official records said Garrett did not have any final words, it has been infamously said that Johnny Frank Garrett said these final words before leaving this earth. I'd like to thank my family for loving me and taking care of me. The rest of the world can kiss my ass. And mood. <laughs> Big mood. Kiss my ass because if you didn't nurture me on the way here, I don't care. After Johnny Frank Garrett was executed, it took the Amarillo police 13 years to eventually catch the infamous Cuban immigrant 
everyone was looking for. Leonicio Perez Riuda was arrested, charged, and convicted for the murder of Narnie Box Bryson. And it is said that he eventually admitted to murdering gay nun on Halloween. So I asked my followers, do you believe God is a viable form of protection when facing the physical evils of this earth? Do you simply pray to God for protection as the shield of protection or do you pray to him for the tools and know how to utilize your tools of protection? So a couple of the responses I received, um, cascade coop underscore stop praying a while ago and just started doing Renice underscore loves life. Sometimes you just got to get physical bite size BB. I pray for the tools metabolism mentor. It actually might be a little bit of both, honestly. Experience tells me he gives the tools, though. Royal Lee underscore. Certain situations I hand straight to him. Others I handle on my own because, uh, and they made the emojis like, because they be having me fucked up. And I feel that. <laughs> um, lots of confection. I pray for his shield, but I also know how to use a tool in case God busy at the moment. Thank you guys for listening and make sure you follow me on IG, Anchor.fm, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts at Cloudy Conclusions.